Let's take our Bibles, please, and turn to Psalm 90. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Gracious Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you that we can come together in this place. We thank you, Father God, that we have a story to tell, the story of Christ and our salvation. We thank you, Father, for your word, and we pray today as we look into your word that we would glean from it, Father God, that which you would have for us. Help us, Father God, to learn of you and learn from you this day. Lord, as always, I ask for wisdom from on high. Lord, I would have uh, clarity of thought and simplicity of speech. And that, Lord, I would only say those things you would have me to say, and that, Lord, today we would faithfully proclaim your word. Guide our time, Father God, in your word this day, and may you be exalted and praised as we join together. God, our time now, Father God, as we consider you, your character, and just bless, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. This morning, of course, we're going to continue our study in the, of the character of God, and uh, as you remember, we've been looking at the attributes of God, and today we come to the attribute of his eternality. It's been said that if we will study God's eternity, it will make us a door where we cannot fathom. If we study God's eternity, it will make us a door where we cannot fathom. But you know, when we consider the eternality of God, we find ourselves unable to comprehend the concept of eternity. For you and I dwell in time and space, and God does not. He dwells in eternity, for he is eternal. And of all the doctrines of the word of God and all the attributes of God, if there's one that's difficult to truly comprehend, it is his eternality. To think that God lives out of time and space, that God does not exist in this area in which we live, this sphere in which we live. We live in time and space. God does not. God is eternal, and God lives eternally. But we want to consider today this matter of his eternality in the best way that we can. And so let's consider first of all eternality defined. In Psalm 90 in verse 2 we read this, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever thou hast formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting thou art God. From everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. One definition of the eternality of God is to say that God is eternal, is to say that he is infinite, without limitation in his existence. Another definition is God is eternal, means that he is always, sorry, that he always was, always is, and always will be. He has no beginning nor end. He has always been exactly the same, and he will exist Forever. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. From everlasting to everlasting, he is God. Now, there are three types of beings that exist. Those that have a beginning and have no end. Uh, sorry, have a beginning and have an end. And that's the animals. 
Those that have a beginning but shall not have an end, that's angels and men. And one who has no beginning and no end, and that is only God. He's from everlasting to everlasting. Before everything existed, God was. That's what it says in Psalm 90 verse 2. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever thou hast formed the earth and the world, from ever, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. Psalm 90 verse 2 tells us that from eternity past, through eternity future, from everlasting to everlasting, he exists. He's independent of his creation. He stands outside of creation. He stands before creation. He exists. The commentator Clark said this, this is the highest description of the eternity of God to which human language can reach. To try and understand the concept of eternality is difficult. To understand it the way the Psalmist put it from everlasting to everlasting is about the best that you and I can hope to understand. Eternality is something that is beyond our comprehension. We know that those of us who are saved are going to live with him for eternity. We know that concept, but you and I live in the constructs of time and space. So even when we think of eternity, we often think of it in a linear fashion. We think of it as in the sense in which we live now. If we, when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we'll have no less days to praise his name than when we first began. That's what the songwriter put it. That's how we think. Because eternality is something that blows our minds. The fact that an eternal God sitting in eternity, sometime in eternity, which doesn't have time, created time and space is a hard concept to come up with. But we do know that by faith we have to believe it because God's word says, from everlasting to everlasting thou art God. Now the word everlasting, of course, means always. You could translate this verse, he is from always to always. Time has a past, a present, a future, and even an end, but eternity does not. And through and beyond all and above all this, God is infinite. Somebody said, if time were a river, we would not say that God floated along with us in the river, nor is he simply standing on the bank. He holds the entire river, the banks, and the rest of the universe in his hands. God is the architect of time and in no way bound by it. See, when we speak about God being eternal, we speak of the fact that God is a timeless being. There's never been a time when God did not exist, and there never will be a time when God does not exist. God has always existed and will always Exist. He's from everlasting to everlasting. So when we think of God as being eternal, we think of him as existing in an eternal present without a past or a future. God just simply exists. He exists in an eternal today without a yesterday and without a tomorrow. And although God is the author of time, he is no way bound by time. He is eternal. 
So eternality defined. Now let's look secondly at eternality stated. Once again in verse 2, it says, Before the mountains were brought forth, wherever thou hast formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. Psalm 90 verse 2 explains that God was when nothing else was. God was there when the earth was not. When the world didn't exist, God was there. Before the heavens and the earth were commenced, he was there. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever thou hast formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting thou art God. Before this world was created, before this world came into existence, before there were any stars and planets, before this uh, universe existed, God was there. Go back with me to Exodus chapter 3, please, because Exodus chapter 3 explains a little bit more. Exodus chapter 3. In Exodus chapter 3, Moses encounters the Lord at the burning bush, God at the burning bush. And God speaks to Moses from the bush. And in chapter 3 and verse 13, we read this. And Moses said unto God, Behold, when I came unto the children of Israel, and shall say unto them, The God of our fathers has sent me unto you. And they shall say to me, What is his name? What shall I say unto them? God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent you. God says to Moses, He simply wanted to be known to the children of Israel by the name, by his name, I am present. I am is God's name and indicates his absolute and eternal being. The New Standard Dictionary defines the word am as present permanent existence. God exists in a present permanent existence. God is the I am. There is no past, there is no future. He is just the I am. One commentator said, ultimately God does not relate to time in terms of was or will be. To him the past, the present and the future are all immediately within his power and perception. By calling himself I am, uh, the I am, he indicates his absolute eternal being. He exists. He's the eternal one. He is the I am. He's from everlasting to everlasting. Before the worlds were created, he was there. He is the I am. Go with me to Revelation, please. Revelation chapter 4. In Revelation chapter 4, praise is being given unto God. And in verse 8 of Revelation chapter 4, it says this, And the four beasts had each of them six wings about them, and they were full of eyes within, and they rest not day and night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. Here in the book of Revelation, God is declared as the holy, transcendent, almighty God. He's above time and he's worthy of our praise, our adoration and our submission because he is God. He's unique. 
He stands outside of his creation. He was there before we were created. He's God. You know, the reality is that our life is short while God is eternal. Psalm 90 verse 2 gives, uh, God is said to be the God before anything existed. And given our short lives, this can be comforting. Verse 10 talks about the shortness of our life. So the days of our years are threescore years and ten. And if by reason of strength they be fourscore years, yet is thy, their strength, labor, and sorrow, for, it's soon, for it is soon cut off and we fly away. The brevity of life. Threescore years and ten is what God's allocated us. If we live to be 80 or beyond, then we ought to praise God for the extra time. But life is short. And when you and I consider the eternality of God and the shortness of our life, it's a comforting thought that we have a God who is eternal. We have a God who sits outside of this universe, a God who is able to take care of us. Somebody said in our eternal God there is a safe abode for the generations of men. If God himself were of yesterday, he would not be suitable refuge for mortal men. If he could change and cease to be God, he would be but an uncertain dwelling place for his people. But God is eternal. And because God is eternal, you and I can find meaning in life. You and I can find purpose for this life that extends long after we've lived this life on earth. You see, in God we find purpose, we find, find an existence beyond this life that we live in eternity with him. We have an eternal God who dwells in eternity. Because of that, you and I, who know Jesus Christ our Savior, can dwell with him in eternity. So beyond this life, this 70-odd years that God has given to us, or perchance we make it to 80-odd years, there is something beyond it. There is, there is hope for the future. What a great and glorious truth that is. Because God is eternal, life has meaning. Because God is eternal, we too can live for eternity. We have hope in this life. Because through Christ and salvation that is ours through him, we can have eternal life. And it ought to be a comfort to us that we have an eternal God. We have a God who existed before creation and a God who will exist after this world is destroyed. We have a God who dwells in eternity. And while we may not fully comprehend the eternality of God, we may not be fully able to get our head around the concept that before time existed, God existed. The truth and the reality is that God does exist in eternity. He is an eternal God. And because of that, we can find comfort in him. Knowing that because he's eternal, we can live for eternity. You know, if God ceased to exist, you and I would not have an eternal existence. For in God we live and breathe. It's because of his existence, his eternality, that you and I can live eternally. 
If God ceases to exist, then you and I would cease to exist. But because we have a God who never will cease to exist, you and I can live eternally with him through faith in Jesus Christ. And that is a glorious truth. No matter how little we understand his eternality, it's fantastic to know that we have an eternal God. So what's the significance of this? Does it matter that God is eternal? Well, the significance of his eternality is the third thing we want to look at today. It goes on in this psalm. In Psalm 90, in verse 3, we read this. The eternalist man to destruction says, Return, ye children of men. For a thousand years in thy sight are but as yesterday, when it has passed, and as a watch in the night that carries them away as with a flood. There is a sleep. In the morning they are like grass which groweth up. In the morning it flourisheth and groweth up. In the evening it is cut down and withereth. For we are consumed by thine anger, and by thy wrath are we troubled. Thou hast set our iniquities before thee, our secret sins in the light of thy countenance. For all our days are passed away in thy wrath. We spend our years as the tale that is told. The days of our years are threescore years and ten. And if by reason of strength they are fourscore years, yet is their strength, labor, and sorrow, for it is soon cut off and we fly away. Who knoweth the power of thine anger? Even according to the fear of uh, thy fear, so is thy wrath. So teach us to number our days, that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. Here in this psalm, Psalm 90, verses 2 through 12, the eternal existence of God is contrasted with the brevity of human life. God puts the two together. He says, here is God from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. And here is man. Man's life is brief. In the grand scheme of eternity, man's life is very brief. In comparison to God, who is eternal, man's life is short. And the reality is that when we die, our body returns to its elements. Verse 3 says, that Thou turnest men to destruction, and says, Return ye children of men. This is not a call to repentance here in Psalm 90 and verse 3. It's a command of man to return to the dust from whence he came. Return, it says. It says, Thou turnest man to destruction, and says, Return ye children of men. Go back to where you came. It's the same as Genesis chapter 3 and verse 19 where we read, For dust thou art, and to dust thou shalt return. This is the reality of mankind. God is from everlasting to everlasting, but you and I live for a very brief period of time in history. And after our period of time of existence, our body returns to the ground. From dust we are, and dust we return. We return to the place from which we came. Remember, Adam was created from the dust of the ground. And from that very ground from which Adam is created, we shall return, all of us return, to the dust of the ground. Spurgeon said this, If we had no scripture at all to prove this, Daily experience before our eyes makes it clear how all men, even the wisest, the strongest, the greatest, and the mightiest monarchs and princes in the world, be but miserable men made of red earth and quickly turn again to dust. 
Psalm 90 and verse 3, the frailty of man is forcefully set forth. God creates him out of the dust of the ground. And back to the dust he goes. And in contrast to this is the fact that God is eternal. And there are many applications of this truth that show the significance of God's eternality. And this morning, we just want to consider a few. First of all, since God is eternal, we need to understand that the torments of the lost are forever. Because God is eternal, the torments of the lost are forever. Go into Revelation, please. The book of Revelation, chapter 14. Revelation chapter 14. Verse 10. The mark of his name. Chapter 19, please. Chapter 19. And verse 20. And the beast was taken with him, the false prophet that wrought the miracles before him, with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast, and them that worshipped his image. These both were cast alive in the lake of burning with brimstone, and the remnant was slain with the sword of him that sat upon his horse, and the sword proceeded out of his mouth, and all the fowls were filled with their flesh. And then chapter 20 and verse 13. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. Death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged every man according to their works, and death and hell were cast in the lake of fire. This is the second death, and whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. As we read these passages, what we have before us is thunder and lightning to the lost. The reality is no one can escape it. Anyone who chooses to reject Jesus Christ, their Savior, will bear the consequences of that rejection beyond this life into eternity. You see, the truth is, all of us were created for eternity. The only difference is where we will spend that eternity. Those of us who know Jesus Christ as Savior, those who have trusted Christ as their Savior, believed on Him by faith, acknowledging themselves to be sinners before a holy God, and accepting the finished work of Christ on Calvary for them, those of us who by faith have been saved will spend eternity with him in glory. We know he's going to prepare a place for us so that where he is we shall be also. But the truth also is that everybody who rejects Jesus Christ the Savior, those who will not acknowledge themselves as a sinner before a holy God, those who will not accept Christ as their Savior, will also have an eternal existence, but their existence will be in the lake of fire. We cannot escape eternity, but we can choose where we'll spend it. We're told in Psalm 90 and verses 4 through 12 that his judgment does not expire. What it talks about in this passage is this contrast between God's eternality and man's brevity. It talks about how the fact that eventually man must pay for his wickedness. Therefore, we should number our days. We may apply our hearts to wisdom. 
Now this is difficult, a somber truth. But one that you and I must face as a necessity. You see, the implication of an eternality, the eternality of God, the implication of an eternal God is that mankind will live for eternity. The choice is ours as to where we spend it, heaven or hell, heaven or the lake of fire. That is the somber reality of the eternality of our God. God lives forever. And as long as God lives, he will punish the unsaved. Think about it. There shall be no relaxation for sinners in their torments. The fire will not be slackened. Back there in Revelation, chapter 14 and verse 11, it says, And the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever, and they have no rest day nor night. Forever. And ever. The unsaved shall have no rest day nor night. Somebody said, From the pains of this life, we can at times find some relief. A broken bone heals, a headache vanishes, a fever breaks, the patient has some ease, but the unsaved soul never says, I am now more at ease. The truth is that in this life, God's anger remembers mercy. In this life, God mixes compassion with suffering. He mixes grace with his anger. But the torments of the unsaved have no mixture. Go to Luke chapter 16, please. Luke chapter 16. We probably know the story of the rich man and Lazarus. That's the story here in Luke 16, verse 19. There was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fed sumptuously every day. There was a certain beggar named Lazarus which was laid at his gate full of sores, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores, and it came to pass that the beggar died was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell he lifted up his eyes, being in torments. And see, the Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom, and he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I'm in torment in this flame. Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. And besides all this between us, and you there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from hence. He was in torment. And there is no relief from the torment. Hell and the lake of fire is a place of pure justice, Therefore, the judgment does not vary. There's no break. There is no intermission. There is no relief. 
There's no point at which anyone can pull away from the pain and the suffering. It continues for eternity. 2 Thessalonians, please. 2 Thessalonians, chapter 1. Second Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 8. Let's read verse 7. And to you who are troubled, rest with us. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God, let obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord, from the power of, and from the glory of his power. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 explains that the worst part of hell, the worst part of the lake of fire is its isolation from any of the glory of God. They will be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Not only will there be eternal torment, not will there be eternal fire, but the very fact that God is not there, the presence of God is excluded and the glory of God is excluded will add to the torment. The commentator said, all good comes from him. And if he withholds his apparent presence from hell, it must be a vacuum, free from true life, light and comfort. What people choose in life becomes their fate in eternity. All this might somehow be bearable. All this might somehow be dismissible if it wasn't for the fact that it was for eternity. But because we have an eternal God, eternal punishment is the fact. As Thomas Watson wrote, if all the body of the earth and sea were turned to sand, and all the air up to the starry heaven were nothing but sand, and a little bird should come every thousand years and fetch away in her bill but the tenth part of a grain of all that heap of sand, what numberless years would be spent before that vast heap of sand would be fetched away? Yet, if at the end of all that time the sinner might come out of hell, there would be some hope. But that word ever breaks that heart, the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever. What a terror is this to the wicked. Revelation chapter 14, which we read earlier, verses 10. And the heaven reminds us that there is no mixture of mercy with the torment. Thomas Watson wrote again these words, The pleasure of sin are but for a season, but the torments of the wicked are forever. Sinners have a short feast, but a long reckoning. And you know, there are many in our world today who, for the pleasure of sin for a season, will endure eternal pain. 
As one commentator put it, after a million years, there is not one minute of eternity wasted, and the dam must be forever burning, but never consumed, always dying, but never dead. And if you're here today, and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me ask you this. Is the pleasure of sin worth, be, worth, worth being in the lake of fire forever? Is the pleasure of sin worth it? So much so that you'll reject Christ and spend eternity in the lake of fire separated from God. If you don't know the Savior today, why not trust him today before it's eternally too late? I was asking you to join a church or whatever the case might be, simply asking you to choose Christ. You see, our God is an eternal God. He's from everlasting to everlasting. And because He is eternal, there is eternal life and there is eternal damnation. The choice is yours. By faith you can believe on the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved and have eternal life. Or you can reject Christ and His work on Calvary for you and have eternal damnation. The choice is yours. What will you choose? Heaven or hell? The second significance of the eternality of our God that I want to mention this morning is that God's love and care for the saved is forever. This is a glorious truth. Look in 1 Thessalonians, please. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 17. God's love and care for those of us who are saved is forever. Verse 17. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds, to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. We're told here that we shall ever be with the Lord. And there's come today as comfort in our, all of our troubles. There is a day coming when you and I will escape this world with all of its troubles, with all of its cares, with all of its heartaches. You and I will be caught up to, together with the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord, dwelling in eternity with Him, with our eternal God and with His Son. It should be a comfort to us in troubles. Look what it's going to look like. Revelation 21. This is what's in store for those of us who know the Savior. Revelation 21. He were told that everything in heaven will be new and good and God's glory will never fade. Revelation 21 verse 1. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. He will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow, nor crying, Neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. What great words they are. For those of us who say we're going to get to heaven one day, and in heaven there is no death, there is no crying, there is no sorrow, there is no sadness. It's a place of joy and rejoicing in the presence of our God for eternity. Our troubles and sufferings are short. 
but our reward is eternal, beloved. One commentator says, said this, The sunlight of glory shall rise upon the soul and never set. God eternal shall eternally reward his, day, his saints. Beloved, one day it will be worth it all when we see Christ. And then lastly, the significance of the eternality of God is that the thoughts of those that are saved should be on eternity. Go to Colossians chapter 3, please. Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 2. It says, Set your affections on things above, not on things of the earth. Whether we are awake or asleep, we're traveling on the road to eternity. And to this end, God has set a hunger in our hearts that this temporal world cannot satisfy. Through this, that without Christ, we have an inner emptiness, a gnawing restlessness. And for those of us who are saved, our thoughts should be occupied about the things where Christ now dwells, where our final home will be, where our great interests are. Since you and I are saved, the great objects of our hearts should be eternity. You and I should look forward longingly, joyfully to the day when we will be with him forever. Our thoughts should be occupied with the things of Christ. Since we're saved, the great object of our hearts should be our saviour and eternality. For each of us who are saved, satisfaction in life is found in, only in Christ and eternity. That's why it says here in Colossians 3, 2, set your affection on things above, not on things of the earth. The best life comes from minds that are fixed upon heaven. If you and I are keeping our focus on heaven, if we have eternity in view, then you and I will have a life that is full of thanksgiving and rejoicing despite the troubles, despite the, the heartaches, despite the storms of life. Heaven awaits, and that should bring joy. See, you and I must realize that our lives are now hid with Christ in God. And since Jesus is enthroned in heaven, our thoughts and hearts are connected to heaven. It says that in verse 1. It says, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your effects on things above, and not on the things of the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall you also appear with him in glory. We should be living with eternity in view. For that alone will satisfy our souls. Everyone has a hunger and thirst for either one of two things, righteousness or sin. And I wonder this morning, for what are we hungering and thirsting for today? 
Are we hungering and thirsting for sin or hungering and thirsting for righteousness? One will leave us empty. The other will fill us up to the brim. Our God is eternal. And he has made you and I for eternity. Where we will spend that eternity is up to us. Whether we spend eternity in heaven through faith in Jesus Christ or eternity in the lake of fire by rejecting Christ, the choice is ours. And as believers, you and I can rest in his peace, live for him in the present with no fear of the future. What a blessing to know that before the mountains were brought forth, wherever thou hast formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you this morning for the truth that thou art everlasting, that truly you are eternal. And while we may not fully understand the eternality of God, while we may not fully understand the concept of eternity, we thank you, Father God, that you created us for eternity. And you sent your Son to die on the cross of Calvary that we might dwell with you eternally in glory. Lord, if anybody here today who is unsaved, may they realize by their rejection of Christ that they're choosing to live eternally, separated from God in the lake of fire. And may they this day choose by faith to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. And for those of us who are saved, help us to live with eternity in view because we serve an eternal God. Bless now as we close, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.